Welcome to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We believe that there is no message more life-changing and more relevant than the gospel. It is our earnest prayer that you will be enriched as a disciple and that you will hear the good news today. So as you know, we've been studying through the book of Acts for the last several weeks, and this series has opened our eyes, uh, hopefully, to how revolutionary this Jesus story is, how revolutionary Jesus communities are as we turn the world upside down. Now, in the portions that we've studied together, we've heard some pretty wild stories, from miraculous preaching to mass conversions, from the death of martyrs to the conversions of magicians, even the breaking down of millennia-old racial barriers through the power of the Spirit. Now, if you read through some of the chapters I haven't preached on, You would see things like earthquakes and jailbreaks and even kings getting eaten by worms. As it turns out, the Holy Spirit is taking everyone for a wild ride. And just as it feels like we have reached a fever pitch, someone decides it is time for the church's first business meeting. Hmm. Most of us have survived meetings that most assuredly should have been emails. And so I understand your skepticism at this moment. After all, no single one of us is as dumb as all of us can be. That's a a different take on that. Remember, an avalanche of destruction can be created from a few harmless flakes working together. Ooh, they're getting better. And I personally believe that God so loved the world that he didn't send a committee. However, it turns out this meeting in Acts chapter 15 is a meeting that actually needed to happen. And some really great things come out of this meeting. If you would, in honor of the Word of God, please stand while we read together from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. The Bible says, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said... The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, 
Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Heavenly Father, we come to you today believing in your grace. Believing in the hope that we have because of your son Jesus and because of the pouring out of your spirit on all of us. God, you have acted in a way that shows us your inclusion and the call that you've given to every person. God, may we, your people, act in the same way. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. All right, so what we find in Acts 15 is that there is a little bit of an argument that rises up, a dispute that rises up out on the mission front. Okay, they're out on the mission front and Paul and Barnabas get sent to Jerusalem to get the collective wisdom of the leaders of the church on how to proceed. And what's happening is that you have some folks who claim to be from Jerusalem saying, you have to follow the law and you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And so they're appealing to the old covenant to say, if you want any part of salvation by God, then you need to fulfill the covenants of God. Paul and Barnabas head to go and head out to Jerusalem to discuss this. When they get there, they're welcomed. Everyone seems pretty happy to see them. Some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, boy, verse 5 got weird. Just out of nowhere, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Now, I want to say that one more time. Dean, I, I just want to make sure we're all together, right? All right. Some of the believers, believers, who belong to the party of the Now, hold on a second. Are you telling me? That there are believers in Christ who belong to the Pharisees. There are Pharisee Christians. Man, the things you learn if you just read this book. Because I thought the Pharisees were the bad guys. You see, what happens is we tend to oversimplify when we read our Bibles. And we just... we. We don't, I don't think, do it on purpose, but we do it just because it's, it makes it easier if we have clear good guys and bad guys. And the Pharisees are bad guys. <clears throat> but here's the deal. Most Pharisees were probably decent people. And mostly well-meaning. Most of us, if we knew one, would aspire to be like them. And raise children that would be like them. You see, they would be really influential church members who knew and loved the scriptures. They cared deeply about holiness and being good people. 
They want to put God first, and they firmly believed if we could get this nation to turn back to God, we would be better for it. Now, do any of you yet think that they would probably be your friends? We would probably like to have a few of them around. As best we can tell, Pharisees came to be, they rose up in the intertestamental period. That means the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, and what they would do is they were, they were prominent uh, and, and they, Israel was found to be under the control of several different empires at this time. And during this time, the Pharisees became prominent, urging Israel to return to God. Basically, they preached that a return to holiness by God's people would result in the return of God's covenant blessings. So if the original covenant blessings were the land and numerous descendants, well, if you've lost the land, how are we going to get it back? If we come back to God, maybe we'll get the blessings again. Okay, that's, that's the idea. Being a Pharisee did not preclude you from believing that Jesus is the Messiah. So you have this group of Christians, believers, who are also from the party of the Pharisees. In John's Gospel, we see Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who becomes a Christian. As a matter of fact, Paul is a Pharisee who becomes a Christian. You see, Pharisees had a deep appreciation for the law of God, but even that didn't disqualify one from being a Christian. As a matter of fact, in Acts 21 and verse 20, James and the Jerusalem elders, when Paul returns to Jerusalem again, they want to show him the thousands of believers in Christ who are, and I'll quote, zealous for the law. Being zealous for the law does not preclude you from being a Christian. God's law is not bad. Legalism is bad, which leads us to what these folks are saying in verse 5. The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. This again? I mean, didn't we already deal with this several times? I mean, Peter had this whole vision from God about not calling what God has made clean, unclean. And it turns out that was not so much about food. It was about people because then he gets sent to the Gentiles. And Cornelius and his whole group received the Holy Spirit. So based on this, the apostles have gone all around the world preaching that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. That God loves everyone and Jesus is calling all to salvation. Who would argue against that? Well, that's the deal. They're not so much arguing against it. It's more what they're arguing for. You see, the Pharisees' reply is, but what about God's law and the Scriptures? I mean, 
After all, this, this circumcision thing is the mark that God gave his covenant people. This is the symbol that reminds us of our intimate bond with him and our way of showing that we trust him and belong to him. This is a commanded covenant practice. Look, I, Paul and Barnabas, we love y'all and we know that you have the spirit, but we've got book chapter verse on this. We've got a lot of book chapter verse on this. I mean, we know that God's doing something new. But we aren't really giving up on this too, are we? See, sometimes we talk bad about tradition. But there is a significant value to tradition. You can cut a tree down in 10 minutes, but you can't grow it back even in 10 years. You don't want to throw away our traditions too, do you? You see, I believe that there's a Pharisee in most of us. Now, I don't mean legalist, although some of us are that kind of Pharisee. But I think far more common is the kind of Pharisee who just wants clearly defined, we won't change this too, will we? Kinds of boundaries. You see, these are our guardian impulses. Protecting what we already have, rather than exploring for new frontiers and practices. This is the part of us that would rather come to church and hear that we're right, than be challenged to think about what we believe. Paul and Barnabas respond in Acts 15 and verse 7. After much discussion, well, Peter's going to say some words. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? So, Peter and Paul and Barnabas are missionaries who have not just had their comfort zone stretched. They've had them obliterated. And they have firsthand experience of the Spirit and the gospel meeting people outside of the Jewish fold and finding that God wanted them too. Some of the greatest miracles in the book of Acts are not healings, but rather are stories of a different kind of restored vision. Paul was zealous in opposition to the church in Acts 9. We read on the road to Damascus, he had his entire life changed. So that now instead of getting rid of people, he's supposed to invite as many people as possible by whatever means possible into the kingdom of God. In Acts 10, Peter finds out that God has chosen the Gentiles to receive salvation as well as the Jews. And not only that, but when you sit to eat with them, order the pork chops. (laughs) And Peter found himself arguing with God... 
that what God was telling him to do was not biblical. That what Peter... You can't make a gospel case for slavery. And so here he is trying to say to God, but, but you said, and God said, and I've spoken in my son, listen to him. I think I understand where they're coming from because change is hard, especially when it's something you care deeply about for good reasons. But Peter, Paul, and Barnabas have at the core of what they're doing this conviction that the Holy Spirit is doing something new and we have to be willing to give up what has been long held in order to follow Jesus faithfully. Because Jesus is not simply the newest part of an old faith. Jesus is the radical transition of the center of belief. That what stops a Jesus riot from growing is the inability of God's people to let God be in control. The unwillingness to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In the New Testament, it's amazing to see that the church was seen by outsiders as a change agent. A threat to the settled order. At odds with the status quo. However, from the inside, it was a place of mutual submission and great concession so that peace could be maintained. A community of great grace that created unity. The opposite seems to be the case today. Churches are known as folks who are against social change, against new ideas, against concessions. And as we look around on the inside, we see more and more folks who are readily suspicious, easily offended, and always ready to argue. Could it be that we've lost our center? In, chapter, in verse 13, James speaks up. James is one of the elders in Jerusalem, and uh, he speaks up. And he says, brothers, listen to me. Verse 14. Simon's described for us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it's written. After this, I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I'll restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. Says the Lord who does these things, things from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. 
We shouldn't make it difficult. So what happens when something that is so meaningful for you is actually not helpful to your brother or sister? What can happen is we can become so attached to the forms of what we're doing. Even good forms, maybe especially good forms, that we forget the function of the church. We lose sight of the fact that God is creating a community of people in which there are no walls and everyone is welcome. And that sounds awesome until we see the bill for the price that we have to pay to be in that kind of community. And then it's not easy. So in verses 22 and following, we get the official statement. Then the apostles and elders, the whole church, decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. And with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We've heard that some went out from us without, author, without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them with you and with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we're writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. Farewell. That is an abrupt ending. They believed that brevity was the soul of wit and seriousness. Uh, they kept it really tight. They trimmed the fat from the end of that letter. So in 28 and 29, we see kind of the guiding principle. In 28, the guiding principle, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's the guiding principle. Now, the Pharisees are probably thinking, well, it better seem good. You're repealing centuries of law and custom that we've known since Bible school as kids. And now that you're changing everything that served us well throughout the ages, and, and i got to be honest, you don't even have chapter and verse. You have the Holy Spirit and us. Notice that part about the Holy Spirit, though. No, 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 no. You don't understand, Pharisees. We have chapter and verse. We have book, chapter, verse. It's just not been written down yet. It's going to be Acts 2, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 11, and a whole bunch of others. You'll see. We're following the Spirit and the story that God is continuing to tell. After all, we're technically all Pentecostal now. Because of Pentecost. Did you see what I did there? Good. Everyone just got real nervous. <laughs> Some of y'all were like, nope. 
Besides that, James says if you need book, chapter, verse, then try Amos 9, 11, and 12. That's what he quotes in verses 16 to 18. Second thing I noticed, besides the guiding principle, is that there is a tone of voice in this letter. You'll do well to avoid these things. Not do this or you're not saved. Rather, if you don't accept these, you'll make all of our lives a lot harder. How did we become known for being so mean about what we believe? What happened to this kind of humility and gentleness, even in hard changes? See, the truth is that certainty can be a really good friend to arrogance. What if we behave more like these Christians? All right. That brings me to the last thing about verse 29, and that's a collection of four fairly odd rules. But if we're going to say, here's the stuff that we suggest you do, here it is. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Don't eat blood. Don't eat the meat from strangled animals. We're getting weirder. Abstain from sexual immorality. That's probably the the easy one to, to, to point out as an important thing. But really, if you think about it, if we're going to give some bottom line rules to new believers, I don't know that this is the list I come up with. Maybe that last one makes it. That last one gets in there for me. I don't know that the other three really got in the group if I'm making the list. Now, some people have suggested they bind these on the Gentiles uh, because these are the laws God gave to Noah in his covenant with Noah. So they're not binding Mosaic law, which was given to the Jews. They're binding, here's your 50 cent word, Noatian law. That's a real word. I didn't just make that up. I promise. Although it is duplicious, which is a word that's made up, but not by me. Dan Henniger made that up. Um, <clears throat> I love you, Dan. Some people say, no, 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 no. What he's done is uh, they're all Noah's children, so they're bound by the Noatian law. But others have pointed out, no, 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 no. This isn't so much a return to some other form of law, as it is pointed out that these laws are all about pagan worship practices and rituals. That where these sorts of things would be happening, food sacrifice to idols, the the consumption of blood, animals being strangled, and sexual immorality, all of these were practices in pagan cults and temples. And essentially what they're telling him is that you can be non-Jewish and still be Christian, but you cannot be idol worshipers and still be Christian. Of course, I think there's something else at play in a major way because all of these rules have to do with table fellowship. They want the whole church to be able to break bread together even with the folks they disagree with. You see, in spite of and in the midst of all of our differences of opinion, interpretation, tradition, and practice, there is a bigger, more crucial truth at work, and that is in Christ, God has made us one. 
We are a community of unity. We could not do this ourselves. We can create uniformity. But only God can create our unity. And so we must eagerly pursue the greater gift above all other good things we may have, love. You see, the greatest gift of the Spirit is not our freedom nor our tradition. It's love. I don't know if y'all are hearing me right now. But I'm saying that God in Christ has made us one. And this foundational truth comes to bear most practically when we all meet at his table. After all, this is God's table. Who are we to check the guest list? Now we're here. Amen. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I finally reached you. Because now I'm going to call the praise team up <clears throat> and the prayer team up. And I want to remind you of this statement by a theologian named Miroslav Volf. <laughs> Miroslav Volf. Here's what he wrote. When God sets out to embrace the enemy... When God sets out to embrace his enemy, the result is the cross. For while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. When God sets out to embrace his enemy, the result is the cross. Having been embraced by God... We must make space for others, even our enemies. This is the comfort of the gospel and the challenge of the gospel. Thanks be unto God. We sincerely thank you for listening and pray that you were blessed today. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, to support our ministry, or to contact us with any prayer needs you may have, head over to www.rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and chosen.